everybody. Welcome to our Warped Podcast. This is our season two premiere. We've got a new but old format for you. Kat will be permanently joining us from this point forward, and it's going to be a fun time. Hope you enjoy. This episode, I wanted to talk about Dead Poet Society. Not the movie, the band. Oh. I saw a lot of very excited faces, and I'm sure... Robin Williams is in a band? No. Was. R.I.P. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh. Sorry to give you that news, but... No. I don't know what's happening. Dead Poet Society is a band, I believe it is four individuals, and they released technically their debut album on March 12th of 2021. It's called the Exclamation Album, although the title is a dash, an exclamation point, and then another dash. I had to look that up because I wasn't sure how to say that. Hmm. So It's got to be weird to Google. Ah! <laughs> Perfection. Leave it in. Wow. I, I skipped a heartbeat. <laughs> I'm glad Grace is cracking up. That was good. KMFTM has a similar album where uh, the title is just a bunch of like, it's an explosion and then it's a skull and then it's something else. And they just call it the Symbols album. Awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's kind of like that where it's just an. Uh, and it's, it's it's just Grace screaming. <laughs> that is canon now. To be fair, this album, at least from my point of view, it makes you get into you get into it. There's a, there's a lot of um, emotion going on. So to call it the exclamation album, I think is it's a good point. They have other works. They have a little bit of a an EP. There's like four or five songs on that. This album sounds a lot like that first ep but there are more points where they kind of experiment i think is i guess the word for it or just do things a little bit differently there's a lot of stuff going on it's mostly rock there aren't any harsh vocals but there is a lot of very intense guitar going on and sometimes it gets a little bluesy which is interesting cat has a question are all of the songs robin williams themed and if the answer is no no I'm, ah, I was going to say, I'm going to be a little upset. Unfortunately, not. Okay. All right. Well, missed opportunity. Y- yes. Yeah. I-, I will say maybe in the future they'll come up with something uh, to-, to pay tribute. But as far as I know, there's nothing in the works. But it is the first and only thing that comes up if you search Dead Poets Society and don't put band. It will just come up with the movie, which I think is pretty funny. Is there a reason for the name? I'm I'm not sure. I didn't really get that far. There's not a lot of information they don't even have a Wikipedia page from what I could tell. Oh, wow. So Wow. So they're new. New, new, new. Uh, well, n- new is kind of relative because, like I said, they didn't have really a full body of work up until this point. Although, I guess they've been touring for a while, maybe playing these songs, and then they just decided to record it and, and get it out there. But most of the songs kind of revolve around a relationship in different stages there are tracks where it's just talking which is kind of interesting some of the stuff is a little bit blah whatever because there's one part where and i don't know who's who's saying it i'm assuming maybe the vocalist but i'm not sure he's talking about how it's it's almost like mid-conversation like a mid-interview talking about if you've ever felt an emotion then like somebody else in history has felt that same thing and saying how, as a mu- musician, you're able to harness that and put that into something more tangible. And 
uh, maybe mu- musicians a strong word. I think he was kind of referencing just an artist in general. So to me, it came off a little pretentious, but the idea is really more of an unspoken thing. It didn't really need to be said in my mind, and I think that if you take that out and you know ignore it, the actual album blows pretty well. Aside from that, because it's in the middle, um, there is a bit in the beginning, the very first track where. There is some just spoken word stuff, uh, but it's not as preachy, I guess. So it's it's a little bit bearable, and there's decent um, instrumental kind of backing it. So that is that, yeah. So you said it goes through the stages of uh, relationships? Not in order. It's kind of chopped up and bits are moved around. It's It's not explicit in all the songs, but there's definitely... I would say 60 to 70% of the songs that deal with different stages, I think. Um, There's another spoken part where he's, whoever it is, is going back and forth, talking to a woman, um, asking an opinion on a a song that I'm not sure what they're referencing, but he just says, what would you think of this song? And she's kind of tearing it down, saying, oh, you do the same thing all the time. It's just, you know, the singer coming in and just being kind of quiet and then all the instrumental is just really like there and like intense. I'm not quite sure what the whole point of that was, but it was kind of interesting. And I don't know if it's it was staged. Like I, I can never tell with that kind of stuff where they get the audio from, how they do it. If it's just like, oh, we're gonna have this set up, or we're just gonna, I don't know, take a record a phone call or something. I'm not sure, but anyway. Right. Who just randomly records phone calls? Every pop punk guy. Howard Stern. Oh, well, okay, true. All right. So, personal question, which you do not have to answer, or you can, and we can cut it out later. How many times did you cry while listening to this? I didn't, uh, but... Okay. Um, yeah, it wasn't. it's not really an album that, to me, is, is one where there's a lot of... It is sad, I guess. It wasn't an emotional journey. No, it, 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 it is kind of. I mean, it's, it's not as... It doesn't evoke a lot of sadness for the majority of the time. It's more just maybe um, hate's kind of a strong way to put it, but just frustration maybe and a little bit of... Angst? Yeah, general angst, of, of course. That's kind of key because Grace has heard the album too. So it wouldn't be like a depression album? No, no, I wouldn't say so. Good. I yeah. think it's a bounce back. Oh, Right on. Yeah, that's a that's a better way to put it. Yeah, it's coming out of a depressive episode sort of album where you're like, I'm still not feeling great, but I'm I'm ready to try this shit again. That's nice. I don't think that there's a lot of that going around. No, not recently. Everyone has their COVID album right. of sadness. Yeah, there's been some good COVID albums though. True. I just want to briefly run through a few of the tracks because. There are some things I want to highlight. So the the second track on the album, it's called Future of War. It has sort of a rolling guitar riff going on. And kind of like Grace was saying, it sort of brings up your, your energy. And then the next track is kind of like I was saying, a little bit more bluesy, but it kind of helps with that big kind of tide rise up and then kind of level you out a little bit. I think American Blood is probably my favorite. If I had to pick a favorite song... I mean, the whole album, in my opinion, is good. I don't think there's really any that you need to skip, but, 
because some of the, like I said, the spoken word stuff can kind of get irritating on like the tenth listen. It's like, all right, I, I know what you're going to say. This is not. There's nothing new here to to pick apart. So. I also really liked the album, which is rare. Walker and I don't always agree on music. It's true. Um, but when we do, that's always fun. Interesting. And it's not a name that you'll easily forget. How did you find them? Just Spotify recommending me things. Nice. Do you know why they name the songs the way they do? Because it's like a period, lowercase, and then the whole word with no spaces, and then another period. Just stylistically, I'm not entirely sure. Interesting. All right, well, um, I'd like to hear some interviews from them because they're definitely making choices and I want to know why. And that was Dead Poet Society, the band, and the album name was Dash Exclamation or Dash Grace Scream Dash. That it? Or was there something after that? Uh, yeah, a, a better name for the, the album would be, uh, I, I agree with you, Grace Scream is uh, pretty good. But that was my take on Dead Poet Society and their debut album, the Exclamation Album. Right on. Thanks for sharing. Nice. Thank you. Well, I guess I'm up next. I wonder what it is. <laughs> See, now I was really struggling with what to pick for this episode because I don't always want to do something animated or anime. I feel like I have to change it up. So I was struggling with if I wanted to talk about ReZero, an anime I watched on HBO, or this documentary I just watched earlier today, Misha and the Wolves, which is this fairly recent documentary about this woman who uh she she claims to have been a holocaust survivor and wrote this book and got movie rights and was almost on oprah and i don't know if i want to talk about that because it wasn't that great it was decent enough to check it out for a, a mental health kind of lens to see why a woman would do that especially something as serious as the holocaust there there is a lot of twists and turns in the documentary i'll say you you don't really ever know who the bad guy or good guy is if, if there even is one at the end of the day but <laughs> i guess I, I wasted a lot of time talking about a thing that i didn't really think i was going to talk about so i guess i'll just talk about re-zero then it's um another anime it's on hbo like i said it's uh formatted a little strange it's 12 episodes or something but they have two episodes in like one so it's like a 140 minute episode i don't know why they did it that way on hbo because i don't think it's like there anywhere else the basic plot of the show is this regular guy is transported into this general high fantasy world with elves and spirits and animal people. And his whole thing is that he's a pretty standard guy. Not super smart, not super strong, isn't, you know, a tactical genius or anything. He's just kind of optimistic, I guess, is like his going thing. And the first episode, he's trying to figure out what's going on. Like, he thinks he's in some kind of like weird video game simulation or something. He meets this girl and he thinks it's like a big moment for him. And he progresses and he later dies in that episode and is restarted at the beginning of that day when he was talking to this apple vendor it's basically like a groundhog's day meets happy death day anime where it's just a general guy throwing a really weird situation where they throw hints at why he's in this situation as it goes and the big thing with the show is this character is the only one that ever remembers the memories he had in this life so if he dies and he built all these character moments or relationships with random people that he meets and he dies, 
everyone else forgets and only he does. So he kind of has to struggle with knowing more about somebody else or having, quote, false memories of somebody while they know that's not true because it didn't happen to them yet or at all. So I, I, I talked to uh, Kat about this a little bit the other day, and she seemed pretty interested. So I was kind of excited to bring it up. Um, I know it's another anime, but it is a lot darker than a lot of other animes out there. It's pretty old. The first season came out in uh, 2015, 2016, I think. And, pretty old. Well, the second season just came out earlier this year. So that's a pretty big gap in between two seasons. That's the only reason I bring it up. Do you know why that is, Chris? Uh, I think it was just like production issues. I don't know too much about the behind the scenes stuff. Yes, Cat. Do you think that that caused like a story fracture or did it seem pretty seamless? Um, I haven't seen the second season yet. Oh, okay. Um, I've only seen the, No, it's okay. I've only seen the first season. Oh, so you're not an expert. Well, I would say I'm an expert, just... Just on know. season one. Yeah. <laughs> just, on, just on season one. <laughs> right. On the first season, okay. Um, All right. <laughs> I didn't know that was a qualifier for our uh, mandates. Well, step it up, <laughs> Oh, man. I'm not an expert in anything. Well... It- pretty sure i said that first episode we can all be experts at not being experts on things but yeah uh the anime is interesting in the sense that it's really just a basic dude in this crazy world with all these like super powered people with magic and crazy training and he's just a high school kid that does some yoga every now and again so he's a bit more physically active i guess but what i really liked about it from the first season was that he isn't special but he always tries to do like something special you know like he tries to save these people even though he doesn't really have anything going for him or tries to make things right even though he doesn't know what he's really doing you know he's just a good guy in a really screwed up situation that can't really seem to catch a break in the first half of the season, almost every character like shits on him and tell, tells him he's like, you know, pathetic and not good at stuff and, you know, a loser. But then like as the show develops, he kind of hits like these checkpoints, kind of like in a video game where it's like a save point where every time he dies, he'll restart to that. So it's not at the very beginning of everything. The first time he restarts at the Apple vendor, like I said, and then later on, he ends up in a mansion and then he'll wake up in that bed every morning after getting attacked by a bad person. I guess that's all I really had to say about it. There wasn't a ton that I want to say without spoiling it. I just wanted to go back to one thing that you said. If it's darker than most animes, then I'm afraid because all the animes I've seen have been super, super dark. Which ones have you seen? Well, the one you recommended the other day we watched, which had like human sacrifice. Oh, Into Your Eternity? Yes. And then Full Metal Alchemist has wholesome moments, but the <laughs> overall... Yeah. I'd say tonally it's kind of similar to Full Metal Alchemist, where there's like a lot of lighthearted stuff, but then when it gets heavy, it gets like really heavy, you know? Yeah. And I would say there's more like self-worth and like mental wellness interjected in there. Self-worth is like a big thing in that whole season, which I really latched on to, you know? Nice. I'm I'm a huge fan of anything Groundhog Day-esque. I was pretty excited when you said that. I was like, oh, maybe you'd watch this then. Yes, um, and I'm also a sucker for anything time travel, which this kind of borders on. Yeah, it's kind of 
like on the edge there. So I might cross over to the anime world. <gasps> yes. To watch this. Well, you did recommend Fooly Cooly to me. That's so. true. You're welcome yeah. for that as well. I never even heard of that until you mentioned it. I was like, oh, wow. This was the most bonkers thing I've ever... Not dark, really, at all. No, it's very light. Did you have a, a question, Grace? Also another tangent. I was watching a YouTube video, and it was someone doing a deep dive on this one storyline of an anime that was a Groundhog's Day time loop kind of situation, but it drove everyone crazy and everyone hated it. I think the title was like the most hated anime storyline ever or something. And I don't remember the anime. I've got to look it up. But it was this long-awaited anime. Like, everyone was waiting for the season to drop. And it was like eight of the 12 episodes or whatever were nearly identical except for a few clues that helped the characters get out of it. People who were watching it were just posting like, Not another one of these episodes! <laughs> Knowing anime. Yeah, people were probably having crises over it. That, that was a worry of mine speaking of with ReZero that it would be really repetitive or like frustrating that this character has a character moment with somebody or like a relationship with somebody and then he he'll die and reset and none of it ever really happened but they do a good way of making even that work so um if you guys are interested it's on HBO it's worth uh, at least a couple episodes I think okay is it dubbed or subbed yeah, it's dubbed. It's it's very well dubbed, actually, too. Um, and I think, you know, speaking of my last show and tell, Vinland Saga, I think, just got a dub. I could be wrong, but if that's something people are interested in, too, you know. Nice. All right, I looked it up. The Endless Eight is an infamous arc in the second season of the anime, The Melancholy of Haruhai Suzumiya by Kyoto Animation Studio. The arc consisted of eight episodes of the cast being stuck in a Groundhog's Day time loop. The anime episode depicting this were more or less the same episode being animated over and over. The arc caused a lot of controversy among fans who were more or less raged and felt like they were being trolled. It got to the point that the former director of the first season of the anime series publicly apologized. And this came out recently? It was June 19th, 2009 to August 7th, 2009. Hmm. Well, thank you for for that chris that was uh, a good share of course so that was that was my choice thank you for listening it's grace's time to shine so last night on social media i posted about the concept of a comfort character and the more i looked it up the more i realized there isn't a singular definition of what a comfort character actually is but the top definition on urban dictionary is when a character which can be from a tv show game book etc makes you feel safe and happy when upset sad down etc so it's an okay definition it's a little shallow and further down the page there was another one a fictional character that you're immensely emotionally attached to. People with comfort characters tend to fantasize scenarios in their heads with their comfort character, giving them a feeling of wellness and comfort, hence the name. Contrary to popular belief, comfort characters aren't always looked at in a sexually explicit way. Most people genuinely adore their comfort character and use them to cope with their mental difficulties. So that one does a little better job at describing it, but I kind of take issue with mental difficulties, but maybe they're right. 
Like, you, you know, get the idea. It's like a favorite character, but like a little bit more intense. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that being said, I chose to cover the comic book You Look Like Death, written by Gerard Way and Sean Simon, illustrated by INJ Colbard, and the lettering is by Nate Pikos. It is an Umbrella Academy spin-off book following my ultimate comfort character, Klaus Hargreaves. The series was released in six issues starting in September of 2020 and ending in February 2021. If you've listened to our Umbrella Academy episode, or if you just know me or both, you know that I have a bit of an obsession with Klaus. But if you'll let me be a hipster for just a minute, I have to brag that I have liked Klaus long before the Netflix show came out because in 2013, when MCR broke up, I needed to consume every other thing that Gerard Way has ever done, and that's how I found the Umbrella Academy. <laughs> Um, if you aren't familiar with it or haven't listened to our episode or, you know, what have you, um, it's a comic book series written by the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, Gerard Way, and illustrated by Gabriel Ba. It's similar to X-Men, but it's got a lot more camp and it's got darker themes for the most part. I mean, X-Men is kind of dark too, but it's like a different type of dark. Um, and then the show was turned into a live action Netflix series in 2019. So the co-author, Sean Simon, wrote a pretty good description of what the comic book series has in terms of events. So I'm going to read that quote. It's in the back of the full book. Like I bought the issues as well as they came out, but then the like soft cover full book has some like concept art and essays written by people. So he wrote, a couple of years ago, around the time Gerard was getting back into the world of Umbrella Academy with Hotel Oblivion, he called me up and asked if I would be interested in writing a spin-off with him. It would revolve around Klaus and would take place 10 years before Apocalypse Suite, starting when Klaus ends up in Hollywood after Hargreaves kicks him out of the mansion. Obviously, I said yes. Out of all the characters, Klaus has always stood out to me. Behind the quick wit and carelessness, there is damage in him. Getting to explore that was going to make for a great story. And then the ideas started. What if Klaus overdoses and ends up in a place called the void. What if he loves it there so much that he keeps trying to get back there because he meets a real friend? What if he's in debt to a vampire chimp drug lord who chases him to Hollywood to get his money? What if the vampire chimp opens an amusement park for vampires in an old subway station? What if Klaus winds up with an aging actress who gives Klaus drugs in return for channeling old actresses into her so she can get her career back? And what do we call the book? So those are just some of the things that happen in You Look Like Death, and I don't want to give anything away, so I'm not going to go too deep into where it goes from there, but... Oh, so those are things that happen. Yeah, all of those happen. Oh, I was like, that makes sense that Klaus would get into it with a vampire chin. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a fun hypothetical. No, it's a... F well, I mean, it is a fun hypothetical, and then if you read this book, you'll find out what happens. Right on. Yeah, it's totally bonkers, but in it is kind of, you know, these dark themes of, oh, Klaus dies, goes to the void, likes it in the void because he meets someone there, and keeps trying to essentially kill himself over and over so he can go back. But also, there's like a vampire monkey, and it's fun. That is fun. That's very uh, Umbrella Academy. I like how they use chimps for, like, everything. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of chimps in uh, the series. Like, they have Pogo uh, in the show, but there are more just kind of, like, wandering around. They're kind of, like, everyday citizens. So, Gabriel Ba illustrated the original three books, but this spinoff is illustrated mostly by a different person. I don't really know why, but it doesn't seem like there's any, like, bad blood between anybody, because Gabriel did the cover art, and then each 
chapter there's like a page that he's illustrated and then it goes back to the like the regular book so it's interesting and there's definite differences in like colors and lines and the amount of detail i like wrote this whole like compare and contrast thing but i don't think i can get into it but because klaus is in hollywood it's a lot of bright colors and sunsets mixed with like very dark themes so it's like ugliness going on but a pretty background which isn't new for things that take place in LA, but it's always fun to see it. <laughs> and then there is a foreword to the book written by Robert Sheehan, who plays Klaus in the Netflix series, and he's an incredibly talented writer. So I just wanted to read like a little bit of what he wrote because it kind of is a better version of what I'm trying to say. First thing he said that I liked, which kind of goes back to what I just said with the setting versus the subject. To Klaus, the sun doesn't shine per se, not even in LA it illuminates the darkness. And then he closes the foreword with this paragraph. The ghosts of memory that make such pain in his body have become his milestone of self, because no one ever told him otherwise. I want to hug him. I want to take his pale, crumbling, skeletal form in my arms and cuddle him, to try to free him from his wailing shackles, even if just for a while, though it may make him less entertaining. Because I am a bit Klaus, too. I love Klaus. We love Klaus. Thank you, Gerard and Gabriel and Dark Horse for Klaus. So basically, it sounds like Rob and I had the same comfort character. Yeah, it seems like he really related with uh, Klaus. Yeah, and his whole forward is so great, and I'm glad that the character I like so much is being portrayed by a person who really gets it. Yeah, he really understands what Klaus is and who he is, so that always makes it more authentic. Yeah, so that was my, uh, my bit. Very cool. I wish I knew more about it. Have you not watched the show? Um, I started the show, but I didn't get very far with it. And then I tried to rewatch the show, and I got a little bit further, but again, I couldn't stick with it. I don't know why exactly. It seems like it's something that would be in my wheelhouse, and there's something about it I just couldn't stick with the first season is a lot more heavy it's not like very fun the second season is a lot more fun and they don't take themselves quite as seriously for good or bad but maybe that would be something you'd be more interested in i think i'd be able to consume it better in written form and i remember when they came out because i was working at the bookstore but it was never something that i took seriously because of where it came from because it came from this scene that I personally wasn't part of. And it was kind of like, oh, well, how good can this really be? Yeah, it seems like a celebrity, like, indulgence. Right. Like Will Smith and his rap album. <laughs> and he, uh, Gerard Way, was a cartoonist before My Chemical Romance. So he does have, like... Oh, that I didn't know. That's cool. He worked for Cartoon Network. Oh, nice. Do you know what he worked on? Um, let me look it up. Okay, yeah, it says, at least in this, like, quick thing that I googled that I don't have time to fact check, it said that he was an intern at Cartoon Network, so he was probably not as involved as I thought originally. Gotcha. But still, he, like, went to art school. Still, that's a big company to get an internship for. Cartoon Network's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'll lend you the books, Kat. Thanks, Grace. It is a worthwhile series. I know why people have some issues with the show, but I, like, have a soft spot for it, and I'm not... Super great at criticizing it because I like it so much, but I do know that it's not like... A little biased, huh? I mean, yeah. It's not a perfect show. It's not for everybody, but it's definitely for me. 
I'd be interested, but I'd hate for you to be without them for an extended period of time while I had them. I don't want you to have separation anxiety or anything. I think I have them all digitally. I definitely have the Klaus one and the first Umbrella Academy. Oh, okay. Do you recommend reading one before the other? Is like one a prequel to the other? The Klaus series is a prequel. It's 10 years before the first one. Oh, that's right. Yes. So yeah. And then the other ones go in order. They're not like prequels or anything. Okay. And what was the name of that prequel again? The prequel is called You Look Like Death. You Look Like Death. Checks out for him. Yeah. And the more you learn about his superpower and all that makes more sense. Yeah, Klaus had the most interesting superpowers to me in uh, the show and the uh, comics. He's much more powerful in the comics. Yeah, he's like crazy powerful, I guess. Interesting. All right, well, cool. Um, Thanks, Grace. Thank you, Grace. Kat, I hear you got something for us. No, you heard wrong. All right, cool. Thanks for watching, everyone. Yeah, that's it. Good night. That's show. Bye. But actually... Um, yeah, sort of. I mean, sort of, kind of. Uh... So, I have fallen in love again. (gasps) Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I can tell the enthusiasm in your voice that you really mean it. (laughs) So, once upon a time, there was this band called My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. Cult with a K and not a C. And I'm going to show my age. Here we go. (laughs) So, they were founded in Chicago in 1987, for which I was alive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but they were kind of like the pioneers of industrial music and they changed their sound by the nineties. So a lot of the things that you hear from them are going to be a little bit different than what they had originally intended. I love industrial music. Okay. Do you know my life with Thrill Kill Cult or just Thrill Kill Cult? I don't. It's okay. That's what I'm here for. They take kind of a humorous stance on religion, um, mainly focusing on Satan and Satanism, which causes them to be the frequent target of a lot of censorship, obviously. Boo! (laughs) Uh, Many of their songs also include sampling from B-movies and old TV shows and possibly pornographic material, so heads up, Uh, including uh, our favorite, well, my favorite, that I introduced to all of you, they do sample Watcher in the Woods. Oh, <gasps> what? Yeah, so a little throwback to that. Oh. It all comes full circle. And Watcher in the Woods connects to Burnt Offerings, and Burnt Offerings connects to The Shining, and... Oh, my. Jack Nicholson did it. It's, it's all connected. It's a conspiracy. Or just life. Yeah. Or just we like satanic things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. fine, too. There's 13 studio albums. They have appeared on several soundtracks, including Cool World, if anyone is familiar with that animated feature. Semi-animated. Oh, the one with Brad Pitt, right? With Brad Pitt. Yeah. I heard that was not great. Well, it was... Uh, I was about 10 years old when I watched it, so I'm not sure how good... Doesn't seem like the right age for that. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say as well. I don't know how good it truly was, and I also feel that I was probably too young to fully understand what was happening. Doesn't he have sex with the cartoon? I mean, probably. I think that's, it's kind of, I don't know if it's like explicit, but yeah, I think that's in there. Yes. Wait, so is it like a stoner movie or? No. No, no just. Uh-uh. I've never heard of this. It's like Roger Rabbit, but a little bit not as fun. More gritty, if you could. What? Right. 
So the creators wanted it to be R, but I think it's Paramount, was really pushing for a PG-13. That's always such a mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think a lot of things are kind of lost, and you just have to interpret as you will. So perhaps he did have a sexual relationship with a cartoon character. We don't actually see it, I don't think. Every anime watcher's dream, I guess. Not me, though. <laughs> Just to be clear. She's sort of Jessica Rabbit looking. Yeah, whatever, Chris. Yeah. No, don't, don't, not, yeah, whatever me about that. <laughs> yeah, whatever, Chris. Yeah. Okay. Wait, what? What's happening? You'll, you'll hear it in the recording. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> All right, while I'm editing, I'm going to laugh. The song in Cool World was Sex on Wheels, which was also featured in Californication, which I have never watched. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never watched it either. I watched one episode when Marilyn Manson was on it and when I liked Marilyn Manson. Sex on Wheels is probably their most commercially successful song. They also had a song in the Amityville Legacy, which came out in 2016, and The Crow, where they, they also appeared on stage during the shootout scene in The Crow. So they do have some film credit as well. They were in another movie that strangely I don't see them fitting in with, and I have never seen, but given your ages, maybe you have The Flintstones from 1994. Really? The live action one? Yes. They had a song in The Flintstones, which was Hit and Run Holiday. Huh. Interesting. Like the vitamin gummies? Oh my god. Yo, Chris. I had to. The, they're not gummies. Yeah, when, no, when no, were, they're chalky. When were they ever gummy? There were... Well, there were no. gummies? No. No, they weren't. Not in my house. Yeah. Mm -mm. Christopher. <laughs> For sure there are. Give it a goog. Oh, God. Look at him. Look at him working so hard. Oh, you can see the sweat now. <laughs> Shut! <laughs> I just linked it. Vitamin gummies. When did these come out? Not when I was a child. Uh, that's not relevant. Chris. Was it like last Chris, year? what was the year? I don't know, man. It's a freaking Walmart link. <laughs> anyway the why is it 76 dollars yes it is a lot um and it has one star yeah i guess they're really bad <laughs> maybe they're not actually gummy i mean the chalk ones are awful i could eat those chalky ones all day long oh i hate them there what were some that were good uh what i'm gonna go buy them now oh no and just eat them as my meal no <laughs> i want to grow up big and strong the lore of the Flintstone gummy vitamins are not clear. Shocker. On next episode, you are going to go through the history of Flintstone vitamins, gummy or not. We'll have you do a live uh, taste comparison. So I take it none of you saw this movie, The Flintstones? Oh, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, I've seen it. A few it. times. I did not. To recall this seemingly out of place song, Hit and Run Holiday by my life with a thrill kill cult in a children's movie in 1994 i don't think it was a children's movie no it was weird there, i mean technically yeah it was one of those weird like on the lines it probably shouldn't have been like the scooby-doo uh live action yeah i think the scooby-doo ones are even more kid-friendly like because the flintstones like i guess it was a kid's show but it was like about like domestic life but with dinosaurs it was like a sitcom right i think it was like the first animated sitcom actually yeah, it's like the first family guy, but yeah, obviously not as, you know. It, of course, it's prehistoric. It's kind of, it's funny. Yeah, I mean. It's a living, you know. <laughs> <Chris>. <laughs> now I'm imagining you as a dinosaur that's being used as like a lamp. Yeah. Oh, no.
I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'd be a lamp. I think I'd be, um, I don't know, like a lawnmower. Um, blender, maybe? Oh, that'd be kind of gross, huh? I always liked the one that was like a ladder. <laughs> Look at that, in the opening credits. <laughs> oh, like the staircase. Yeah, the sta- excuse me, staircase, yeah. <sighs> All right, sorry, Kat, please continue. All right, that's okay. I don't have very much left. So on a personal note, I enjoy A Crime for All Seasons, which is the album, which has songs like Blondes with Lobotomy Eyes, Yesterday's Void, and my personal favorite, Lucifer's Flowers. Aww. Yeah. There's another song called The Days of Swine and Roses, where they chant... What is with industrial music and pigs? I don't know. The song has really nothing to do with it because they just chant the same phrase frequently, which is Christian zombie vampires, Hmm. which I played for Chris Mm -hmm. at one point. I remember liking it. The older I've gotten, the more I've liked Hit and Run Holiday as an album. The song itself is good, but it's turned from industrial into more of a surf punk sound. Which can be a fun change, depending on how you're feeling. And my favorites on that album include Babylon Drifter and Glamour is a Rocky Road. Glamour is a Rocky Road is a song that I can listen to on repeat my entire drive home, which is an hour and 20 minutes. I love that song. Wow. <laughs> how long I, is the song? Um, I don't know. Let's find out. Well, I've got to listen to it now, just to assess your mental state. (laughs) Oh, it's not going to be fun for that. (laughs) I didn't anticipate that. Three minutes and 28 seconds. Wow, that's a lot of repeats. That's longer than I expected, actually. It's about 30-odd listens. Did you get an email from Spotify that's like, you doing okay? Called in a wellness check? They have asked me in the past. No, they haven't. Yeah, you know, when you do those year in review, and they're like, are you all right? Oh, yeah. It's just a lot of thrill kill cult and typo negative. (gasps) I do like typo negative. Can we just talk about typo negative? Can we? Yes, we can. Absolutely. Let's do it. (laughs) Next time. All right. All right. Sorry. It's getting late. It's getting late. But Peter Steele. (gasps) We'll talk about it. Grace and I will have a spinoff show just talking about Peter Steele and typo negative. So... I uh, recommend everyone at least listen to Glamour's A Rocky Road. It's a fun listen. It's upbeat. It's not going to drag you down. Lucifer's Flowers, also fantastic. All the names are amazing. And Days of Swine and Roses, if you want to just chant Christian zombie vampires over and over and over again. I already did, but now I've got a reason. Mm-hmm. I one time drove all the way to Kansas City, Missouri, listening to A Crime for All Seasons, which is probably why it's one of my favorites. It came out in 1997, by the way. I don't know if I said that. Nice. I don't think you did. Thank you for indulging me. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to our Warped Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our Warped Pod. Chris? You can follow me at Chris Ambrose AD on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, hauntingly tired, all one word. It is a perfect uh, description of me, hauntingly tired. And you can come at me with all of your favorite and least favorite My Life of the Thrill Kill Cult songs. We can debate or just celebrate the fact that they exist. Oh, yeah. And tell me why episode 18 is the saddest episode of ReZero. Thank you. That's all. Walker? And follow me into the dinosaur enclosure where we can pet the stegosaurus. That's nice.
Yep. And then it becomes stairs, and then you get to climb to heaven. <laughs> it's a living. I'm sorry. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I give up. Good night. Cat's already off the podcast. Thank you, everyone. Are we doing the, the bye thing? Bye. Well, cool cat. Thank you for sharing. Sorry we uh, distracted you so much during that. Cool cat. Chris. I thought he always said cool beans. No. <laughs> He's not allowed to say cool beans in my world. Or of those beans. No. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes, cool beans. Woo. I'm going to say it every episode. <laughs>